What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding B&G Podcast. Another recap episode. Here to recap Washington's loss to the Minnesota Vikings, 17-20 or 20-17, whoever you're a fan of. Um, but yeah, we're here for another recap episode. Now, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm not going to lie to you. Today's recap episode might be our shortest recap episode in history. Excuse me. It might be our shortest recap episode in history because full transparency um, for my day one Bleeding B&G fans, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but this Minnesota Vikings game was the game that um, I was awarded the sweet experience um, due to me winning the um, field goal competition um, during last season, um, the season finale um, against the Philadelphia Eagles and things like that. So this past game was the um, uh, game that I was afforded the opportunity to experience that guest suite. And I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was watching majority of that game through tequila lenses. I was watching majority of that game through tequila lenses. If you know what I'm talking about, you know exactly what I mean. Um, I was a little inebriated, but um, I did watch the condensed game um, just about an hour ago uh, to get some clarity um, and to get some validation to see if what I was watching with my tequila lenses, um, if my eyes were deceiving me and things like that. And they weren't. So we're here to recap um, Washington's loss. Like I said, if you're checking us out on YouTube, be sure to like, be sure to comment, be sure to subscribe. As I always say, we try and finesse these algorithms so that Bleeding B&G is your number one content hub whenever you're searching anything. Same thing for podcasts. If you're um, on a podcast-only platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating, please leave a review, please leave a like. Let's finesse the algorithms. But to the game. To the game. As I said, this might be our shortest recap episode, but not only because I was a tad bit inebriated and I was watching the game through my, my, my tequila lenses, but... There isn't really much to say. There isn't really much to say. Like, the title of this episode is going to be called Back to Reality because that's where we are. As to give you a timestamp, as I do for every episode, it's about 5.30 on Monday, November the 7th. Um, so the Washington uh, Commanders lost about 24 hours ago. So it took me an entire day to process this and things like that. But we back to reality. It just is what it is. Yeah, the three-game win streak was cute. I'm not even going to be the type to downplay it or have revisionist history and be like, oh, oh, I, I was down on, on the three-game lose streak. Oh, we were just barely beating bad teams and things like that. I wasn't that type of guy. I wasn't. And I'm not going to sit here and be like that, like I said, revisionist history. But yesterday showed me that we're closer to the team that we were before the three-game win streak than the team that we were during the three-game win streak. And that's as clear as that. That's as clear as day. And a lot of people have been telling me, and I'm not saying you were wrong by any means, but I was just the type of, don't rain on my parade. I'm a Washington Commanders fan, and at this point, I'll take whatever wins I can get because they come few and far between. But a lot of Washington Commander fans and a lot of you guys were, were, were very conscious of the fact that we were beating bad teams during this three-game win streak, starting with the Chicago Bears, then to the Green Bay Packers, and then the Indianapolis Colts. But if you look around the NFL, especially this week, and if you look around at how the NFL, how 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 the schedules or how these teams have played since we played them, I'm a little more depressed, or I'm a little more upset, or I become a little more conscious of that. Like that was fool's gold. That was fool's gold. When you see the Indianapolis Colts firing their head coach today, having nine sacks against the Indianapolis, I mean against the New England Patriots, looking like hot garbage. 
getting dominated by the uh, New England Patriots from quarter one to quarter four. Then you look back and see that you had to struggle with those guys. You have to have a game-winning catch by, by Terry McLaurin. When you look back at it, you see other teams dominating that you're barely beating. The Packers are bad. The Packers are horrible. The Packers stink. And a lot of us, myself included, look at that, looked at that as like, maybe that was the that was the one good team, or that was the good team, or that was the big win during our three-game win streak. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Aaron Rodgers is washed. Aaron Rodgers is cooked. And Aaron Rodgers sucks at this point. He doesn't have a supporting cast, and that's a bad team. And we barely beat them. And I think the most depressing thing of it all, or the most depressing thing that I've realized about this three-game win streak, is that, yeah, everybody's going to tell you that the Chicago Bears are playing better football. That's absolutely true. But guess what? They still have lost two of their last three games since playing us. They have played much better. But it's kind of depressing when I look back and realize that the Miami Dolphins put up 38 on them yesterday. Dallas put up over 40 on them respectively last week. And we we barely beat them scoring 12 points. So am I supposed to be excited about the win or am I supposed to be very conscious of the fact that we have a bad team, especially this offense. This offense is remedial. The offense is the offense is elementary. The offense is preschool. I don't know. I don't know what else to call it at this point. We have a guy under center that can't do it. I told you about Taylor Heineke's Moxie last week. Well, guess what? That's about all he has. That's about all he has because I might have a stronger arm than Taylor Heineke, and I hate to keep bashing on this point. Because I don't think that his, his, his play call or his offensive coordinator is doing him any favors by any means. I said it early in the season. Well, I guess Scott Turner is back to asking Madden. Scott Turner has no feel, no flow for the game at all. You call a quarterback draw on third and nine, bruh? On your own side of the field, bruh? Like I told you, we had the sweet experience. I saw all 22. My sweet was right behind the goalpost. I saw everything that a quarterback can see yesterday. So I saw some of them calls that were bullshit. Some of them calls that had no chance, like the fourth and one. Like, the, the, I, 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 Scott Turner is the biggest reason for this loss yesterday. If we're being honest, Scott Turner gets the biggest piece of the bang pile for this loss yesterday. If we're being one hundred percent honest, Brian Robinson had thirteen carries for forty-four yards. Gibson had eleven for thirty-six. But guess what? We back to acting like we can't find creative ways to get Antonio Gibson the ball. He back to running traps and dives like he's a natural runner, which we know he isn't. The reason why he lost his job the first the first time. So now that you try to get these guys more even touches, you got to treat Antonio Gibson like he's a regular running back again. Scott Turner, bro, you fucking suck, bro. Scott Turner is a joke. Scott Turner is a damn joke.
And we're the fools at the end of the day. Because guess what? This is the same things that he was doing with Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel in Carolina. They wasn't they weren't putting up a whole bunch of buku points like that. But guess what? Guess what? You don't even interview Kevin O'Connell. You don't even interview Kevin O'Connell. You just hand the job over to Scott Turner. And then Kevin O'Connell as a head coach now comes back to whip your ass. To whip your ass. That's the life of a commander fan right now. I think I speak for all commander fans when I say that we'll take Kevin O'Connell over Scott Turner right now. We would have did it in 2020 when you made the change too. Because Scott Turner didn't show you anything in Carolina that made you think he was going to be this next juggernaut offensive coach. Other than the fact that he's North Turner's baby boy. Ron came in and brought the guys that he got fired with. And now they're here to show you the reasons why they got fired. Like, this is sad. This is sad. You still, you going back, you going back to getting Terry McLaurin, forcing them targets in the second half because you're barely looking at him in the first. You got a quarterback that's incapable of hitting him on any deep shots. So he got to get connected on all intermediate routes, taking away one of the best assets of his game. But then guess what? That's on Scott Turner as well because you dropping Tyler Heineke back like he's 6'5", Carson Wentz. Why are we not moving the car pocket with Taylor Heineke? You couldn't tell after the third batted pass? You tell me one of his strips is his mobility, which it is. It seems like you believe it. You run a fucking quarterback drive on third, a quarterback draw on 39. So why are we not moving the pocket and using his legs in that way? Is it because Scott Turner can't think of it, bruh? He's incapable of making in-game adjustments. I told y'all that early in the season. Scott Turner comes up with a week-by-week -week game plan where he plans on attacking our defense or the defense that's coming up that week. He probably has it all schemed up by Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. And he's locked into that until the next Monday. There's no in-game adjustments no matter how the game goes. Ryan Fitzpatrick has told us the other week that he's more concerned about his system than players. That seems to be the thing for the entire Washington coaching staff. Offense, defense, special teams, whatever you call it. Because I don't know how the fuck Dax Miller is still returning punts. Everybody in the stadium legit rolls their eyes when they see Dax Miller go out there for a punt return. No lie. It's like... This dude again? Is him? Him? And I'm telling you now, if I see Dax Mill catch another punt with 20 yards of space and only gain about three yards, bro, I'm going to lose my shit. I'm going to walk into Ashburn the next day and sign up for punt return duties because I know I can do a better job. You get Curtis Samuel the ball. To run the ball one time, he pops it for 16 yards, and you never go back to it again. That was your second most effective run of the game. Outside of another trick play with a tight end reverse with Amari Rodgers. 
So you see what happens when you get creative? So why are we doing it? Why are we still running this archaic-ass offense like it's 2005? Like this is Norm Turner with the fucking Redskins, the Cowboys. But this ain't even his daddy offense because his daddy at least has some flow for the game. One thing I knew about Noah Turner is he was going to get his playmakers the ball. Michael Irvin. Emmitt Smith. Can't say that about his son. Terry McLaurin only finished with five receptions for 56 yards on nine targets. Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin should not finish a game for the rest of the season where he has less than double-digit double digit targets. That shit is malpractice when you have an offense this elementary. Especially when you got a guy like Jahan Dotson that hasn't played in a month. Why isn't Terry McLaurin seeing at least 10 targets a game? What's so hard about that? But when you stuck to your scheme and your system, it don't matter how you it don't matter if your dog did the ball or not. It's all about the process at that point. Who the process chooses. No matter if they're better than Terry McLaurin or not. Shit is a fucking joke. Fuck your process, Scott Turner. This shit is a joke. This shit is a joke. I'm glad that they gave me this nice scarf. Because I was definitely in that motherfucker wiping my tears with it yesterday. You're not supposed to lose a game when you're up by 10 in the fourth quarter. Taylor Heineke, you cannot make that pass. You cannot make that pass. But guess what? I'm tired of play calls with three dudes running in the same spot. You got three dudes running in the middle of the field, granted at different levels, but Carson, Taylor Heineke isn't the best intermediate ball thrower. And he proved it on that pass. How are you 5'11 and you overthrow somebody 6'6 six, six that much? Like I said, we just back to reality, man. Coach Rivera back to letting, him know, letting us know that the game is passing by. And that he's a piss poor coach right now. Bro out there challenging, challenging and losing plays. That even if he won, it would have it would have ended up being a third and one. Whoa, whoa, and you ended up losing it. A play that had very minimal in, impact on the game at all. You ended up losing a timeout on that, and guess what? That's why the Minnesota Vikings were able to run down the clock. Twelve seconds left. CEO Ron, though. Paddleboat Ron. This is our CEO. This is the guy that we trusted the entire organization with. And look at what he's doing. Making irrational coaching challenges. Like, this shit is a joke. This shit is a joke, man. Then, supposedly, he's the one that, that has been coaching up. Or, whoever's on his coaching staff has been the one coaching up John Ridgeway, the goddamn clothesline of center that's long slapping 
when he's not looking at the ball. If you play Little League football, you know that shit isn't legal, bruh. You cannot line up over a, long, a, a center when he's long snapping the ball. Let alone clothesline the man in his neck. Let alone clothesline the man in his neck. But then I hear fucking paddle Bo Ron in this press conference today. Oh, oh, oh. I don't think that flag was. I don't think that flag should have been caught. That's how we coach him. That's how we coach him. If that's how you coach him, that's mild practice. You're coaching them up to do illegal shit. That's a problem. Coach-centric approach, my ass. It's a joke, man. You know it's bad for us as a franchise when Jack Del Rio is by far the best coach on the staff right now. You know that's a joke. Maga Jack is the best coach on our coaching staff by far at this very moment. Because the defense has been humming. I don't know what took so long to take William Jackson out of the lineup. But he, it, it, whatever they said he did, he did that shit. Same with Sam Mills. Because you dropped those two bad apples and the defense is playing like one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah, some of you guys might say, oh, oh, well, they gave up a 10-point lead. Yeah, your bum-ass quarterback gave up the ball and gave Minnesota one of the best red zone offenses, the ball at the 12-yard line. What, 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 what more do you want them to do? They held one of the most balanced offenses to, to what? 13 points for a majority of the game. Dalvin Cook couldn't get anything going through the air. That's why they had to throw him a little well route. Granted, he did kind of cut Cam Curl. Cam, you got you got you got to learn how to defend that well route, man. I'm tired of hearing about how good these players are and how and, and how good of a throw it is. Yeah, that might be true, but guess what? I want to see you make a play on him at one point. Same thing happened to you against Aaron Jones, against the Packers a couple weeks ago. We can't just keep calling all these running backs and quarterbacks great. They good. You get paid too. Make a play. But Cam Curl is the least of our worries. I told you last week, Cam Curl one of the best players on our defense. This may be a hot take. I don't think it is, really, though. But Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen are the best defensive tackle tandem in the entire NFL, and they're playing like it, finally. Finally. They had every. They were just picking and choosing which center guard they just wanted to put on skate for the Minnesota Vikings yesterday. It was like, you get a whooping, you get an ass whooping, you get an ass whooping. They had them boys on roller skates all game. John Allen is a grown-ass man. Told you, first team all pro this year. I'm not settling for anything less. Deron Payne playing like it's his contract year. And it looks like we might not be able to afford him. And that sucks because he's playing with his hair on fire this year. Do y'all know Deron Payne leads the team in sacks with five and a half? What? Yeah, we might need to find a way. I don't give a fuck if it's $40 million in your defensive tackle room. Guess what? You get you a quarterback on a, on a rookie contract. You get you a franchise quarterback on a rookie contract. Trust your evaluation. You can give $40, $40 million to the defensive line room. 
for the defensive tackle room. You don't give Kerry Top Carson $28 million, you can probably afford to give your defensive tackles $48, $40 million in that room. Which is asinine, but guess what? These are two of the four best players on your team. Most NFL rosters can't say that. So we can't operate like most NFL rosters. I thought Benjamin St. Juice played well. Justin Jefferson is going to get his. I think Benjamin St. Juice is really strong in press coverage. And he knows that. And he, hey, he was, he was buttering his bread yesterday because that's all he played. I think he got a little handsy with Justin Jefferson. But, hey, it ain't a flag if they don't call it. I love his length. And the plays Justin Jefferson did make on him, it was just simply Justin Jefferson being one of the three best wide receivers in the NFL. And Kurt throwing a couple dots. Jamin Davis' speed is evident. This is becoming a recurring theme that we're bringing up week after week after week. Maybe Jamin is just getting good, guys. Now, if, you, he's, if he's worth the 19th pick and whatever you want, you can debate that. I'm not here to debate that with you. But I think that he's the best linebacker on his team at this point. With the capabilities of improving and being a really good linebacker in the NFL. Because the physical tools are there. The speed is evident week in and week out. The speed is evident week in and week out. But like I said, there's not really much to say about this game, man. After watching the condensed game, getting more clarity, the two most things that are evident is Scott Turner is not it and neither is Taylor Heineke. But we knew that already about Taylor Heineke. We knew that. We never thought Taylor Heineke was the answer. No matter how much we like his moxie or no matter how much we prefer him over Carson Wentz. Scott Turner, we used to try to give you the benefit of the doubt, man. But at this point, them ass Madden offenses just ain't cutting it for me no more, bro. You be out there asking Madden, and it shows. No flow for the game. No flow for the game. You out there calling shot plays and deep, deep routes like we got a good offensive line. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing at this point? Like I said, we back to reality. And this was a reality check that we needed. The week was lit. Dan started finally selling the team. So at the end of the day, this is a win-win week for sure. But hey, maybe we needed to be humble. And that came to the hands of Kirk Cousins. You know the sickest thing about losing this week? That man, Kirk Cousins, was jigging on our shit with the, with the jewelry on. He was jigging on our shit. And guess what? Every national media outlet picked that shit up. I've been seeing that on my, on my TV and my timeline all day. Corny ass Kirk Cousins putting that shit on, jigging on our shit. That nigga, man, Kirk was out there jigging on our shit. Man, let me stop talking before I get depressed. Let me stop. Because, oh, what could have been? Oh, what could have been? And I'm not saying that Kirk Cousins was the guy. I'm not saying he was the franchise. I'm not saying he was going to win you a Super Bowl. 
But he's better than any of the pieces of shit that we want to call quarterbacks on this Washington Commanders roster right now. And with that being said, man, that'll do it for this episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We back to reality, though. But I'm going to keep the good vibes going. I'm going to keep the good vibes going. We got Philly next week. Hopefully Chase Young back. Hopefully Jahan Dotson back. And maybe we can make some noise. Maybe we can make some noise. I doubt it. Not unless... Not unless... North Turnham himself come come back and start calling plays. His golden playbook from the 90s. But let me stop. Let me, what am I even thinking? Because the game have already passed up our entire coaching staff. Why would I bring in another old dude? Scratch that I said that. Scratch that I said that. But if you enjoyed this episode, man, like I said earlier, be sure to like, be sure to comment, be sure to subscribe, be sure to stay tapped in to Bleeding B&G. If you haven't or if you aren't already, make sure you're following our social media pages. Our Twitter is at BleedingBNG. It's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So there's only one G in our Twitter handle. Our Instagram handle is spelled a tad bit different. That one's BleedingBNG, B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. So there's two Gs in our Instagram handles. Posting content weekly, posting content daily, and I love chopping it up over there on Twitter, man. I love getting it in over there on the Bird app, man. Um, but let's keep chopping it up, cause who knows? Elon might, Elon might wipe us off the face of Twitter um, in due time at the rate he's going. But as I said before, guys, thank you guys for supporting. Thank you guys for supporting. I'm gonna have some more fire episodes coming. Um, but but stick with us, stick with us throughout this season, cause guess what? Bleeding B and G gonna hold you down if the Washington Commanders aren't. I'll check in on you guys later. Peace.